0: Well, good morning, uh, especially good morning to everyone who's online this morning because I'm guessing there are more of you than there are of us here in the building because of the weather, so, uh, so thanks for joining us. Uh, I hope everyone had a great uh, Christmas holiday. I know it's always possible during this time of the year that there's so much activity going around with the holidays, family gatherings and all that, that sometimes it can be hard to stop and reflect on why we celebrate uh, this season at all. And so this morning uh, we're going to continue and extend the Christmas season another week. Um, if you are uh, familiar with church traditions, where uh, they follow a, a calendar, uh, as it were, the first Sunday after the beginning of the year is traditionally called Epiphany Sunday, and the theme of that Sunday is looking at the wise men who came to visit Jesus. And so that's the passage we're going to be in this morning. Uh, it's found in Matthew chapter two, verses one through eleven. I'm going to go ahead and read through it, uh, and then I want to make some observations about some of the people involved. So, uh, if you've got a Bible, or grab one in the seat pocket, or pop open your phones, uh, find Matthew chapter 2, and you can follow along. Starting in verse 1, we read this, "'After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, "'Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews?' For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So, for most people in this part of the world, uh, the Christmas season, the birth of Jesus, is seen uh, as a happy time of year. It's something to be uh, celebrated. In fact, even those who don't believe in God see this time of year. Uh, as a time of family gatherings and warmth and generosity. But I think it's clear from the passage that we're looking at today that not everyone saw the arrival of Jesus into this world as something to be celebrated or welcomed. Uh, This morning, I want to look at the responses of two people or groups of people to Jesus' arrival uh, and see what we can learn from that and what it means for us. Uh, So, of course, we're going to look at the wise men uh, and King Herod And I figure we'll start with the wise men because their response is a little bit more positive. Uh, Maybe a natural question as we jump into this passage is who exactly are these wise men? And that's a great question. Uh, First of all, we don't know exactly how many wise men there were. Uh, Tradition tells us there were three, but I think that has more to do with the number of gifts that they brought than the actual number of people. Uh, We know that there was more than one because it says that they were wise men. Uh, but it could have been a whole crowd of them, uh, so we don't know. Uh, Matthew, the author, calls them Magi. And Magi was a title uh, given to a tribe of astronomers and dream interpreters in ancient Persia. Uh, it's possible that the Old Testament prophet Daniel had interaction with the Magi during his captivity in Babylon, which is ancient Persia, uh, almost 400 years before this event happens. Uh, magi were employed by kings and rulers, uh, and they were asked to interpret dreams and the signs that they saw in the night sky in terms of the positions of the stars. Uh, it was a common belief during that day that anything unusual that happened in the night sky would be a sign that something important was either happening or was going to happen on earth. So we have this group of wise men who were regularly watching the night sky for signs of anything unusual. And then one night, they see this bright star, uh, brighter than anything else that they've seen before. Now, there's a lot of theories about what this could have been, but I think the most reasonable one is that the star they saw was actually a conjunction of the planet Jupiter and another star. And when they aligned properly in the sky, they would have appeared as a much brighter star than those surrounding them. Uh, So so the wise men were watching, and they see this bright star, uh, because that's This is something that they would have noticed, but maybe others wouldn't because that was part of what they did. Uh, They also might have known about the prophecy uh, among the Jewish people of a coming king in Israel who would one day be greater than all other kings and who would bring salvation to the people of Israel. Uh, It's likely that the Israelites, when they were in captivity in Babylon, uh, shared their scriptures with the Persians of that day. Uh, They talked about the prophecies in the Old Testament. That said that there was a king coming one day, and so those would have been handed down uh, throughout the generations among these this group of wise men, <clears throat> and they would have likely known about those uh, during this time. so seeing the bright star in their west and knowing the prophecies concerning the Messiah, they traveled a month or more by foot to reach Jerusalem. Uh, now Jerusalem was the capital city of Israel, and so natural assumption for the wise men that if there was a king that was going to be born, it would probably happen in Jerusalem. So that's where they went. Uh, On arriving, they begin asking the people, where is this child that was born, the king of the Jews? Eventually, as we read, they gain an audience with King Herod, and they find out that Bethlehem was the predicted city where the Messiah would be born. So they make the trip of another five miles to the southwest... Yes. Uh, and they reach Jerusalem, and when they arrive in town again, they start asking around, and eventually they find the house where Jesus was born, and they see the child Jesus and his mother Mary. Uh, as a side note, and this is kind of just for those of you who like the history part of it, uh, there's no indication from the passage that this happened on the night of Jesus's birth. Uh, I think just traditionally we've taken the uh, account of Jesus' birth in Luke, which is way more detailed, uh, and what little Matthew tells us, when we put some things together, uh, and it all feels like this happened at one time. But there's some clues later in the passage that let us lead us to believe that Jesus could have been as old as six months or even a year old uh, when this happened. Now, whatever the timing of this was, uh, it doesn't take away from the importance of the wise men's arrival because it means uh, some significant things, and we'll, we'll look at that here in a moment. Uh, So, as they arrive, the text gives us the response of the wise men upon finding Jesus, and their response is to worship him. Now, I can't imagine what it would have been like for Mary and Joseph to have this crowd of foreign men show up at their house carrying large bundles uh, of what appear to be gifts And upon seeing their child, bow down onto the ground and worship their son. Uh, I know if that happened to me in my house, a crowd of people showed up that clearly were from another country and wanted to bow down and worship one of my children, I would be a little weirded out. Um, And my guess is you would too. And I have to think that this had to be a little bit uncomfortable or awkward for Mary and Joseph, even though they probably knew there was something special about their child. This might have seemed over the top. Uh, The text says that their worship included the bringing of gifts, and bringing gifts to famous or significant people uh, when you went to visit them was just a common practice in uh, ancient Israel. The insignificance here of the gifts is that they were really expensive. Uh, Gold, I think, speaks for itself, right? It's a precious metal. Uh, Frankincense was a rare resin uh, that was used Uh, In perfumes, sometimes, and it was often burned as incense during worship. And then myrrh was a highly valued spice. It was also used in perfumes of the day. Some commentators suggest that these three gifts actually tell us uh, three unique things about Jesus. They say that the gold was a gift that was suitable for a king, so this would fit with Matthew's theme that Jesus is king. Uh, Frankincense Because it was used uh, in worship as incense would have indicated Jesus' divinity, that he was God, he was worthy of being worshipped. And then myrrh as a spice was also used in the embalming process, which would have been a foreshadowing of Jesus' death and eventual resurrection. Uh, Now, my guess is that the wise men uh, didn't specifically choose these gifts to communicate those things. But I think it's very possible that God inspired them to choose these specific gifts so that we, as we look back on them, would see the significance of what was happening on that evening. So, the wise men travel from miles and miles away uh, over the course of a month to find this child, and their response is to worship him. On the other hand, we have King Herod, and let's look at him next. Uh, I think in the same way that it's helpful to have some background on who the wise men were, it's going to be helpful if we understand a little bit more about King Herod. Uh, there are a number of Herods in the Gospels. And the one that we're looking at here is known as Herod the Great. Uh, he was appointed as king of Judea, which is the southern part of Israel, uh, in 40 B.C., and he was around 70 years old when Jesus was born. Uh, he was an efficient ruler, uh, and he had earned the favor of the conquering Roman government. But the fact that he was half Idumean, which is another people group, and half Jew, and the fact that he was appointed king by the Romans, not the Jews, uh, led many in Israel to believe that Herod was an illegitimate king. And the heavy taxes that he laid on the people caused many to resent him. Uh, In his older years, uh, which is the time that we're looking at now, uh, he developed an illness, and maybe out of fear of his own health, He became unstable emotionally and was prone to uh, paranoia and fits of rage and violence. In fact, uh, some of these fits of rage led him to kill a number of his closest associates, including his own wife and two of his sons. So maybe not the safest guy to be around. Uh, So the world that Jesus was born into uh, was a world that was incredibly uh, uncertain and unstable. On the one hand, Herod had brought the peace of Rome to the land, but on the other, there was constant fear in the lives of the Jewish people. Uh, On the one hand, they were afraid of revolt at any time, uh, that that radicals would want to attack the king and his forces and kick them out because they saw Herod as illegitimate in his ruling. Uh, But on the other hand, they were afraid that at any moment their irrational king could just have a fit of rage and... And do something horrible to the the Jewish people. And that last piece is actually something that comes true later in the passage, as we'll see. Uh, There's evidence of the the instability in verse 3. We read that when Herod hears that there are foreigners asking about the birthplace of a king of the Jews, uh, the text says that he was disturbed. Uh, Any news of a king that wasn't Herod uh, would have been upsetting to him. It would have been a threat to his rule uh, over Israel. And we learn that uh, the Israelites were disturbed along with him. I think they knew that if Herod heard that there was possibly another king in Israel other than him, that this could trigger a fit of rage and he could respond negatively towards them. Uh, and unfortunately, they were right, as we'll see. So, <clears throat> on hearing the news that these people are uh, looking for a king of the Jews, Herod summons the religious leaders of Israel, and he asks them, where is the Messiah to be born? Uh, The title Messiah means anointed one, Um, and I think the tendency when we hear that uh, is to think it refers to somebody who is special or is chosen, and that's certainly true, uh, but it's not the entire story. Uh, The Israelites were unique in the ancient world, and that they didn't crown their kings. They anointed them, and so when the Jews heard the term Messiah, it carried with it the sense of kingship. Uh, and I think that that's why when, when Herod heard that people were looking for a, a king of the Jews, he wanted to know when the Messiah was going to be born, because Messiah, in his mind, meant king. <clears throat> um, the religious leaders tell him that he was to be born in Bethlehem, uh, and so on learning that information, he summons these wise men and asks them when they first saw the signs, uh, the star in the sky, to try and figure out when this first happened. Um, he then sends them to Bethlehem to find the child and says that he wants to come worship him as well. So could they bring back news as to where they find him? But we later see in the passage that that is not the case. Uh, in verse 12, the wise men are warned in a dream that Herod was not being genuine and they're instructed to leave the country by a different route than they came in. So when Herod realizes uh, in verse 16 that the wise men are not going to come back and tell him where the child was, he freaks out. And the text tells us that he orders every male child two years old or younger in Bethlehem and the surrounding regions to be killed, okay? He doesn't want anyone competing for his throne and he's willing to kill as many kids as it takes to make sure that he gets the child. Uh, <clears throat> as a side note, this is the part of the passage that lets us know that maybe Jesus was older, uh, maybe six months to a year old, uh, because Herod's looking for anyone that's two-year-old or under to to take care of so that he makes sure that he gets the right child. Fortunately, or maybe I should say providentially, uh, God, we find out, warns Joseph uh, and Mary in a dream about what Herod's going to do, and he instructs him to leave and flee to the country of Egypt. So in the middle of the night, Jesus, or Joseph packs everything he has and takes his family, along with Jesus, to Egypt, and they escape the slaughter that Herod has planned. <clears throat> All right, so that's the passage. Uh, clearly what we see is two very different responses to the arrival of this child who would be king into the world. On the one hand, we have the wise men. Uh, who were Gentiles, in other words, non-Jews, who've traveled for weeks to worship this young boy. Uh, They've been eagerly searching the stars in the sky for a sign that something important was going to happen, and when they saw one, they immediately packed things up and left to follow it. They acted, and they went in search of the prophesied Messiah so that they could worship him. On the other hand, we have King Herod. Uh, Unlike the wise men, Uh, He wasn't all that concerned or interested in the birth of the Messiah until he hears word of it traveling through the streets of his own city, and at that point, he summons the the religious leaders to find out when he would be born. Uh, As we saw, Jesus' arrival was a threat to Herod and his rule, and so his response was not worship, Uh, it was anger and, and a defensive posture. Uh, to the point that he was willing to murder hundreds, if not thousands, of young children to make sure that his rule was not taken over. So the question for us as we think about this is, how do we respond to the idea that the Messiah, Jesus the King, has come into the world and he wants to be king in our lives? How do we respond to his kingship in our own uh, experience? Uh, are we like the wise men? Are we actively looking for opportunities to embrace Jesus as king? Uh, do we willingly worship him by submitting to his ways even when they challenge our own comfortable ways of living? Uh, will we let him sit on the throne of our lives and be king? Or do we respond more like Herod? Uh, and I don't think any of us actually wants to kill Jesus Uh, but I do think that often we can be indifferent to his claim to kingship in our lives, uh, and at other times we can actively resist it. We can push him away and refuse to allow him, uh, to be king. We like having a sense of control in our lives, and we like being the ones who are in charge. Uh, so often it's hard to allow somebody else to be king. Well, if you're like me, and I know I am, uh, Good, you got that. Uh, <clears throat> often, we likely do a little bit of both, right? Um, I think it's really normal for us to want to feel like we're in control. It's easy to think that we know what's best in most situations. Um, but sometimes there are circumstances that arise where we have to deal with the reality that we actually aren't in control. Or maybe we experience situations where it's just really hard to figure out what is best in that situation. And I think in those moments, we're a little bit more open to letting someone else give us input in our lives, or maybe let somebody else be in charge of things for a while. But when things are going well, I think we typically are not looking for outside input. Uh, So when Jesus challenges our established ways of thinking and living, uh, we can tend to either ignore him or resist uh, his guidance and his influence in our lives. We like being king. Uh, So, what does that look like practically? Well, uh, a lot of different ways. I think for me, uh, responding like the wise men uh, can be things like uh, doing the dishes, even though I really dislike doing the dishes, Uh, but it's something that needs to be done. It's something that serves my family. Um, Sometimes responding like the wise men means going back into the store when I realize that the cashier has given me way more change than I needed Uh, Or it can mean stopping at the side of the road to help somebody change a flat tire even though I have somewhere I need to be and it's really inconvenient for me to do that. Uh, There's a lot of ways that I can respond uh, like the wise men do, but sometimes I respond like Herod does. And that can look as simple as not taking out the trash even though I see that it needs to be taken out because I would rather wait and see if somebody else notices and does it because I'd rather not be inconvenienced by taking out the trash. Uh, but other times, it's more like not apologizing to a friend or my spouse for days after hurting their feelings, even though I know God wants me to restore the relationship. And it happens because I'm, I'm more interested in being right than I am being in relationship. Okay, that's the Herod response, at least for me at times. So when we have a Herod moment, uh, when we sense ourselves responding with pushing Jesus away. uh, How do we we change that direction? How do we respond? How do we move towards Jesus instead of pushing him away? There's a lot of options, but I think one of the most important is to remember who Jesus is, and specifically to remember that he's good. Uh, We have the benefit of hindsight that the wise men on that night centuries ago did not have. Uh, We know that Jesus willingly dies on a cross for us so that we can have forgiveness in relationship with God. Uh, In his letter to Rome, uh, the Apostle Paul writes in chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, he says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, while we were pushing him away, Christ died for us. The death and resurrection of Jesus, which are established historical realities, should answer once and for all the question of whether or not God loves us and whether or not he is good. He is good. And he does love us, and he proved it by sending his son and allowing him to die on the cross and raising him from the dead. And because of that, We can trust him, even in those moments where our gut reaction is to resist his desire to be king in our lives, Uh, even though what he wants for us seems to threaten our desire to stay on the throne. Because we know he's good, we can trust him and allow him to be in charge. Uh, The child that the wise men traveled to see uh, that evening so many years ago was more than just a child. He was a king. He was the Messiah, Uh, and today he wants to be king and Messiah in our own lives. And so my hope uh, for all of us as we enter a new year, that we would grow this year in our willingness and our ability to embrace Jesus as king in our lives, to allow him to make, to call the shots in our lives, to tell us what's right and good and true and direct the way that we live, Um, and that we would be more willing to get off the throne and allow him to be king in our lives uh, in order to help you guys think through that a little bit more this week, uh, the Bible reading plan for this week uh, is called Making Jesus King. And if you use the Bible app uh, on your phone or if you use Bible.com on the website, uh, you can search for it. You can also find a link to it uh, on the Sunday resources page on our website. And uh, it's, it's just a great read to start thinking about what does it mean to allow Jesus to be king in our lives. Uh, so I'm going to pray. I invite the worship team to come forward. And uh, we'll go from there. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are king, that you are good and you are kind. You proved it by giving your life on the cross on our behalf. And because of that, God, we want to be people who trust you as king in our lives. Uh, We want to be willing to, to yield to your direction for our lives rather than always feel like we're the ones that need to be in control. God, uh, I pray for myself uh, and for all who are here and all who are watching online this morning. God, would you help us to grow this year in our ability and willingness to let you be king, uh, to be willing to give up our uh, sense of thinking that we know what's right all the time and be willing to listen to you and your voice. And when we hear what you say, respond uh, in a way that says, we give you permission to be king. Jesus, thanks for loving us. Uh, thanks for coming to the world to show us what God is like and for proving your love for us by dying and rising again. In it's your name we pray. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> one of the things that we do each week during this time uh, is not get feedback. Uh, it's, it's We invite you to consider giving. Uh, New Cove has a history of being so generous, and we appreciate that uh, every week the giving uh, the stuff that you give allows us to be out in the community uh, showing the love of Jesus to people every day. Uh, and we appreciate that you do that. So uh, you can use the QR code on the back of your chair. Uh, I think there's a code online that you can scan, or you can go to newcoachurch.org give and give now. So thanks. I'll turn it back over to you guys.